Good morning, Cornerstone. Well, I assume it's morning. This is a recording, so you could be watching this in the middle of the night. But either way, hello. My name is Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. It is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bible to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. This is the uh, last sermon in a series that we've called Vision, in which we're looking at our church's mission and vision statement. Um, Last month, our church celebrated a five-year anniversary. So we're five years old, and to commemorate our five-year anniversary, we've all decided to stop coming to church and to stay at home and to watch everything on YouTube. Um, Of course, I'm kidding. Uh, We can't gather unless you just woke up from a coma. You know the reason. Uh, There's a pandemic on, and so we can't gather. And that's really sad, and that's really difficult, but we trust the Lord has a purpose in it, and we also trust that we'll be able to gather again very soon. Attached to the video, there is a home worship guide. looks uh, like this. And in your home worship guide, you can see an order of worship, And I'd recommend that you follow along with us. You'll read uh, from Psalm 116, and you'll say a prayer. We've even given you a couple of suggestions of songs to sing. Uh, After we're done watching the video, you're welcome to follow along in the, uh, the study guide that we've included with your home worship guide. As a supplement to today's message, pastoral candidate, Steve Minter. Some of you know him as Stephen Minter. No one actually knows his real name. Uh, We sat down and we recorded, uh, we did a little bit uh, more of a deep dive into today's text and uh, sort of drew out some things from the text that we didn't have time for in a sermon. And so look for that somewhere around Tuesday. And speaking of all of that, on our website, if you go to cornerstonepickwood.org, we've compiled everything and put it on one page. So if you go on cornerstonepickwood.org and click on resources, you'll see home worship uh, in there. And then we've concluded all the videos and the supplemental things and the worship guides all in one place for you. So um, that being said, let's go ahead and jump into today's text. And before we do that, I would like to say a prayer, if, if, if I can. I'd like to pray for you. And as you know, we've been praying through Psalm 119. Today we'll be praying from verse 97 to 104. And after I pray that over you, I would like to then pray for some folks in our community who, because of the pandemic, have been separated from their loved ones. So let's go ahead and turn to the Lord together in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are a speaking God. You have spoken your word to your people. Give them ears to hear. Lord, will you give my people a love for your law? Let them know it is not stuffy. It's not confining. Your your law is not oppressive. And forgive them for ever thinking that it is. Lord, your law is good. It is for their good. And may it be their meditation all day long. Give your people wisdom by your commandments. Make them wiser than even their enemies. May your word always be with them. It will never become obsolete. Teach my people your truth. By your word, give more understanding about the world you made, about your plans, about your purposes, than even their teachers Fill their minds with your testimonies. 
Lord, during this pandemic, may their thinking be more informed by your word than by their news feeds. Your word will give them more wisdom than even the sages and the experts. Help them to keep it. Father, give your people grace to keep their feet from every evil way, to watch their steps so that they won't fall into the ditches of evil. Enable them to keep your word faithfully. Lord, keep Cornerstone from turning aside from your rules, from seeking their own way. If you leave them, they will detour and they will bring their own lives to ruin. Lord, spare them that. You have taught your people the straight path. May they choose to walk in it, no matter the cost. Lord, how sweet your words are to our taste. They are sweeter than honey. Your word enriches our lives in every way. Will you open my people's minds to your truth so that they will know the right way, cause them to hate every wrong way, cause them to hate every lie in their hearts, everything that does not bring honor to Jesus? Will you do this for Jesus' sake? Lord, for those in our community who are unable to get out during this pandemic, will you be with them? Your sons and your daughters who are confined today to retirement homes, to nursing homes, to their houses, will you be their comfort? Will you be their joy? Our hearts break when we see the videos of loved ones singing through windows, holding up signs of their affection. How hard this must be from those who've been cut off from spouses and from family and from friends. You know them. You know them in their loneliness. Fill their lonely rooms with your love. Hold them close, Holy Father. Speak clearly to them of your favor and of your care. Use this season to ripen them into a spiritual harvest. Lift this scourge from our land. Protect the vulnerable. Bring families together again. Bring churches together again. Enlarge our hearts in this season to love more fully, to love more faithfully. You are great. Your word is great. We're trusting your purpose in all of this. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible open, Mark chapter 10, we're going to begin reading at verse 35. But before we jump in, I want to ask you a question. What is greatness? What do you think of when you think of greatness? Muhammad Ali famously said, I am the greatest. What did he mean by that? I suppose he, he meant that he was the greatest boxer who ever lived. Is that greatness? Power? Success in sports, the most successful person is the greatest 
person. But what about other areas of life? What is greatness in life? Let me ask you another question. What do you think of when you think of a servant? I suspect you're picturing someone in the employ of another. Someone who exists to serve someone greater than themselves. Maybe you're picturing a scene from Downton Abbey. The waitstaff. Servants who live apart from the royals and exist to serve the royals. Handmaidens, footmen, valets, attendants, servants. How do you suppose God would have answered those two questions? How does God measure greatness? Well, we don't have to wonder. The Lord Jesus told us how God measures greatness. You see, when God pictures greatness and when God pictures a servant, he's picturing the same person. Today is Palm Sunday on the church calendar. It's a day in which we remember the Lord Jesus going into Jerusalem on the back of a colt. He's going into the city where he will be tested, where he will be tried, where he will be tortured, where he will be crucified. In Mark's gospel, the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem happens in chapter 11. Today, we are in chapter 10. And the events that we're about to read happen just before Jesus' triumphant entry. And I don't think that's accidental. You see, because what Jesus teaches, Jesus models. This passage has a lot to say to all of us in reframing the way we think about greatness, the way we think about servanthood. Seems to me this is a timely word. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we are at the end of a series where we're reconsidering the purpose of our church. Our mission statement is simple. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ until Christ is all. We do that in four ways. Through gospel-centered preaching, through Christ-exalting worship, through Christ-forming discipleship, and through Christ-like service. We've already looked at the first three ways, and today we're considering how to proclaim the excellencies of Christ through Christ-like service. I have three points to draw out from this text. First, we'll look at the greatness of Christ as our Savior. Second, we'll look at the greatness of Christ as our servant. And last, we'll look at the greatness of Christ as our standard. And then at the very end, we'll take a moment to consider a few ways in which we feel the Lord has given us opportunity to serve our community like Christ. So let's go ahead and read the passage. Mark chapter 10, verse 35 and following. I'll read, we'll dig in, and then we'll wrap it up. Should be around 30 minutes or so. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. This is the word of the Lord. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. 
Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. You see what's going on, right, don't you? These two boys, James and John, are coming to Jesus, and they're trying to get some glory for themselves. Jesus, when you come into your glory, when you come onto your throne, can we, you know, sit next to you so when people are coming around and sort of taking pictures of you, maybe we can just sort of lean into the frame once in a while? Mark's account of this story is kind. In Matthew's account of this story, he records that James and John sent their mama to ask Jesus this question. So I suppose it was like one of them saying, James, why don't you go ask Jesus? And John's like, oh, I I don't know. Why, Why don't you go? And maybe they wondered, I wonder if mama would go for us. And so mama comes and asks Jesus. So they ask Jesus the question, and they ask him in the most kid-like way possible. They say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Every parent has had this exchange with their kids at one point or another. They'll go to mom to ask a question. Mama, I'm going to ask you a question, but just promise before I ask, you're going to say yes. When they're, when they're older, they, they, they get passive-aggressive, and they ask it differently. Well, I was... I was going to ask you a question, but you're going to say no. You always say no. Well, this is James and John's, and this is what they do. Jesus, whatever we ask of you, just please say yes. And so Jesus responds to them in the same way that every mom in the history of time has responded to that. No, boy, you ask me the question first before I tell you my answer. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus says, what do you want? And here comes their request in verse 37. Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. That's a bold request. I'll give them that. And they got something right. They got that Jesus would be king, that he was the Messiah, and that he would come into glory. But they did get something wrong. They got it very wrong. That yes, he would come into glory, but they didn't understand the way. They didn't understand greatness, at least not how God determines greatness. Verse 38, Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am to be baptized? What makes this whole scene crazy to me is that it happens while they're on the road to Jerusalem. Literally moments before these boys bring this request to Jesus, Jesus says this to them in verses 32 to 34. Take a look. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to say to them what was to happen to him, saying, 
See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. This is the third time in Mark's gospel that Jesus has told the disciples he's going to Jerusalem, and there he will be murdered. James and John wanted some of that glory, but they didn't understand that Jesus' path to glory went through suffering. And so they said to Jesus, we're able. We can drink the cup that you're going to drink. We're, we can be baptized with your baptism. And then Jesus tells them they will. There will be suffering set aside for James and John, to be sure. Both of them will suffer greatly uh, by being persecuted for following Jesus. But then he says to them in this in verse 40, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. It is for those for whom it has been prepared. Jesus saying that it is God, the Father, who will choose who, sit ne- who sits next to me. Jesus, though equal with God in every way, submitted to God the Father in every way. And he's telling James and John that greatness comes first by submitting to the Father's will. It is the Father who determines your future, your destiny, what glory has been set aside for you. And Jesus says, my submission to my Father involves a cup. And this cup that Jesus is referring to is the cup of God's wrath that he drinks at the cross. You see, in just a few short days, the Lord Jesus will spend the night in a garden praying. Mark chapter 14, verse 36, records Jesus praying on the ground, saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Dear Christian, eternal life was earned for you in that prayer. Your Savior, submitting himself to his Father, drank the cup of God's wrath for your sin and set you free. This is the greatness of Christ. He is our Savior. Each one of us have turned from God and have justly earned his wrath for our sins. And God owes us nothing but just punishment for our treason. But God is not only just, he's also gloriously gracious. And so he wrapped himself in humanity. God the Son became man, came on a rescue mission to save his people from their sins. And though he committed no sin himself, he bore the penalty of sin on himself. And he died. 
And God raised him to life three days later, and he ascended into heaven where he sits enthroned in glory forever. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you're watching this and you're not a Christian, friend, turn from your sins. Trust in Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. This is the greatness of Christ. He is our savior. And this is the greatness of Christ that he is our servant. Let's keep reading in Mark chapter 10. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the other ten disciples catch wind of James and John's request. And they understand exactly what it is. This is political maneuvering, and they're ticked. After all, like, what makes you guys so great? What makes you better disciples than us? Peter's probably like, I'm the one who made the great confession. Didn't you read chapter 8? So Jesus has to sit them all down. And by the way, this isn't the first time that they're arguing about greatness and Jesus has to sit them down. Back in chapter 9, almost the exact same thing happened. They're on the road and Jesus is going, he says that he's going to Jerusalem and that he's going to die there. And they're walking with Jesus and they're arguing, who is the greatest? And so Jesus comes up to them and says, "Uh, what are you guys all chatting about? And no one wants to say, everyone is quiet. No one wants to fess up, but it's Jesus. He's not asking questions to ascertain information. When Jesus asks questions, it's to draw out the fool in us. And you know what he told them back in chapter 9 about greatness? The exact same thing he tells them here. Whoever would be first must be last and servant of all. The way to greatness is through serving. It's the same thing he says here. And I I don't know about you, but Jesus' patience with the disciples, it gives me hope because there have been many times in my life when the Lord Jesus has to sit me down and have a discussion. But here we are, Jesus sitting down with his disciples, and in verse 42, he tells them, don't be like the Gentiles. They, show, they, they try and show greatness by lording over others. You see, in the world's eyes, the great ones are those who are in authority, the ones who call the shots, the one with all the power. They think 
they think that famous picture of Muhammad Ali, where he's, you know, he's got his mouth open, he's got his powerful right hand across his chest, and Sonny Liston's there on his back. That's the picture of greatness. To the world, greatness is domination, but not to Jesus. Verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. The world is upside down. And Jesus came to set it right side up. So he'll say, in order to gain your life, you must lose your life. In order to find yourself, you must deny yourself. God will use the foolish things to confound the wise. The first will be last. The last first. The Lord of glory became a servant. Friend, the roadway to greatness ends in the servant's quarters. This is kingdom greatness. This is how God weighs greatness. Not by lording over others, but by laying down your life for others. Whoever would be first over all must be slave of all. Do you want to be great in the kingdom? I hope you do. God is glorified when you are great in the kingdom. And so if you want to be great in the kingdom, friend, you must serve. Spend your life building up others. Spend your life promoting others' well-being. Take on the position of a slave, the one who is below, the one who's in the background, the one who isn't in the know, the one who doesn't call the shots, the one who doesn't tell. He's the one who gets told. She's the one who submits. This is the kind of greatness that we see in the Lord Jesus. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is our servant. You don't have to go far in the ministry of Jesus to see he is our servant. One thinks of John chapter 13, where the Lord Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. It's one of the most moving passages in the whole Bible. On the night before Jesus was betrayed, and with his own betrayer still in the room, Jesus took the position of the lowest servant. The Lord of glory. No one has stooped so low, filled a bowl full of water, and washed every foot in that room. He cleaned the dirty feet of Judas. The same feet that would moments later run to Jesus' own enemies and betray him. This washing of the feet made Peter uncomfortable, and he objected. But the Lord was stern with the apostle. 
And he said, unless I wash you, you you will have no part in me. It's it's an astonishing scene. No one can make this up. You understand that in all the world's religions, the gods, the gods were to be served. They were powerful beings that controlled and, and directed the affairs of men. Sometimes these gods were benevolent. Other times they were malevolent. They had to be appeased. And these are false gods. They're just, they're projections of ourselves. But the one true God shows his actual greatness by doing exactly what we would not expect. He becomes a servant. Jesus, the giver, the sustainer of life, lays his life down. This is because the one who actually has doesn't need to take but he can freely give. You see, we don't offer anything to God. We contribute nothing to him. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. The rich man shows his true riches, not by accumulation, but by giving. Jesus shows his greatness by serving. Jesus is our servant. Now, by, be, by being our servant, that doesn't mean that he is below us. Actually, it's the opposite. He shows us that he has what we need. We're the ones in need, and he is the one who provides more than enough for the things that we need. We need to eat, and so Jesus is our provider. We need to be healed, and so Jesus is our healer. We need, uh, we, we feel sorrow, and so Jesus is our encouragement. We are afraid, and so Jesus is our comfort. We become weak, and so Jesus is our strength. We are indebted to God for our sin, and so Jesus pays our ransom. The Lord Jesus is not turned off. By your neediness, he's glorified by meeting your need. Jesus shows his greatness by being our Savior and by being a servant. And last, Jesus shows his greatness by being our standard. Jesus is our standard. In the upper room, in that passage in John 13, where Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, after he's washed all of their feet, he gives them this command. This is John 13, 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus is our servant. Jesus is our standard those who've had their feet cleaned by the master will in turn clean the feet of others. This is exactly what the apostle Paul was getting at in Philippians chapter 2 when he's teaching the Philippian church how they are to act toward one another. He says the way you're to act toward one another, you need to follow what Jesus has done for you. You can see this in Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. See, he, he, he locks in what we're to do in what God has already done for us. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Have this mind among yourselves, Cornerstone. Consider Jesus. Though he was equal with God, he became your savior. He became your servant. And he is your standard. You see, those who have been served will serve. They can't help it. They've met the lavish generosity of their savior and they can't help but to pour that lavish generosity out on others. You see, the stairway to greatness in the kingdom goes down. John the Baptist said it best. He must increase and I must decrease. Jesus shows his greatness in serving. And each one of us is called to do the same. Serving others the way Jesus has served us means giving freely, expecting nothing in return, being generous with our time, being generous with our patience, being gentle, putting others before ourselves. There are many ways to serve. The Lord has given us plenty of opportunities. And no matter who you are, if you are a Christian, you must serve. And so I want to end our time by listing a few ways we believe the Lord has called our church to Christ-like service in our community. Three areas. These hold particular opportunities for our church as we seek to serve in our community. We seek to serve the unborn, the unplaced, and the unreached. We serve the unborn. We seek to serve the unborn by praying the Lord would end abortion in Ohio and in the U.S. You see, we don't, we don't want God to make it illegal. We want God to make it unthinkable. And so we give financially to crisis pregnancy centers like the Elizabeth's New Life Center. Some of us volunteer in their offices. But we want to do more for the unborn. During this time of quarantine, will you pray that the Lord would give us more opportunities to serve the cause of life? How can we, as God's people in this community, educate and promote the cause of life in Piqua, in Miami County? How can we serve our community by fighting for the cause of life for the unborn? Another way we believe the Lord has called us to serve in this community is in the area of the unplaced. There are nearly 16,000 unplaced children in foster care in Ohio. How can we as a church serve children in foster care? How can we promote the cause of adoption in Piqua in Miami County? How many of us are willing to change our financial goals 
to readjust our financial outlook in order to adopt? Are any of us willing to get trained and certified to become foster parents? Are any of us willing to become a safe home, a respite home for those in need? One more way we feel the Lord leading us to serve is in the area of the unreached. There are between five and 7,000 unreached people groups in the world. To be unreached means you don't know a Christian and you don't know anyone who does. Three billion people alive today have never heard of Jesus. They have never read a Bible. They have no access to a Christian church and there's no one around them to tell them about the love of God. Unreached people are unreached for a reason. Oftentimes, it's because they don't want to be reached. All the easy people have been taken. And so last year, our church shifted its missional giving to include only those missionaries who are serving among unreached people groups. We take one week out of our year every fall to ask the Lord whether he would have us get trained, sell everything, and serve the advance of the gospel among the nations. Lord willing, we'll do that again this year. But during this time of quarantine, will you pray? Will you pray for our church? Will you ask the Lord to raise up a team, a missions team, who will lead the way to provide training and resources in order to send teams out on short-term and long-term mission trips as we carry the gospel to the nations? There are many ways to serve the Lord has given us plenty of opportunities and each one of us has a part to play. To be a Christian simply means to put others above yourself and to serve them with the strength that God supplies. This is what we see in Jesus. This is the greatness we see in him. He is our savior. He is our servant. He is our standard. We proclaim his excellencies by serving in the way he served. Let's pray. Lord and Father, God and Savior, you are great and greatly to be praised. Exalted in the heavens, the angels worship at your feet. You direct the earth and the affairs of men. All things are in your mighty hand. Lord, we confess that we have subscribed to the world's ideas about greatness. We have sought to be served more than we have sought to be servants. Will you forgive us? We have resisted your Holy Spirit's leading us to consider others more important than ourselves. We're not like Jesus in so many ways. We think way too highly of ourselves. And how often have we taken something from the master's hand and refused to give it to others? Lord, forgive us. Will you write these truths on our heart? 
Will you move our hearts to deeper affections for Jesus, to see his greatness? And by seeing the great love that he has shown to us, move us to equip and equip us to serve others, to spend our lives pursuing kingdom greatness by taking on the role of a servant. For Jesus' sake and for Jesus' praise, amen. Your assurance of pardon this morning comes from Psalm 116, verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. Grace and peace.